Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. If you have a Bible, I hope you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 9. And uh, wherever you are, uh, I hope that you're doing well. If you're online with us, we'd love to hear how you're doing this, uh, this weekend. Uh, we know this has just been kind of a crazy weekend. And we would love to know how to pray for you, and we'd love to help you in any way that we possibly can. You know, sometimes things aren't the way that they seem. Like, if I could take you to uh, Buxton, England, I would show you this particular body of water. Uh, It's a lagoon right outside that town. And you're going to notice there's two pictures I'm going to show you. The first one is this, of a blue lagoon, okay? It's a blue lagoon, all right? You see that right there? I mean, it looks nice. In fact, how many of you, given that it is so cold outside, would love to be in some lush tropical climate right now? Anybody just love to do that, yes? Okay, by round of applause, how many of you, okay, and if you're online, you can play this too, how many of you love it when it's hot? I mean, you just love the hot. How many of you, this is your weather right here? This is your favorite weather, it's hot? I, I kind of like both, but here in Buxton, England, this is this, uh, outside this little town, there's this beautiful uh, little lagoon, or it would, so it would seem, and um, they have signs up that tell you that this water is toxic, has a very high pH level. In fact, what you don't see there in this lagoon is that this lagoon actually is very deep, and uh, it has in it uh, where cars have run off the road. They've ended up in this lagoon. And so oil and gas has spilled out. There's been, uh, there's, in their history, they had animals, like large numbers of animals that died and their bodies were dumped there in this particular lagoon. Um, this, is, this, is, this water, if you swim in it, it will make you sick. In fact, the people were so convinced that they needed to do something about this that they actually had the, the lagoon died. And so they, they dyed it, and you'll notice this here in the next picture. Uh, they dyed it, and they tried to dye it black, okay? But people still swam in it. In fact, they still put, they put up signs that said, this is toxic, this can kill you, and people still swam in it. And you may say, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about tonight? Because here's why. Sometimes things aren't as they seem. Sometimes things aren't the way they appear. And if you have your Bible, I want you to read this story with me tonight. Uh, it's, it's a story that in three of the Gospels, you see this story. And Jesus tells it in a particular way uh, here in, in Mark chapter 10. And you may have heard it. It's a pretty famous story. It's called the parable of the rich young ruler. And it says this. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him. And knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus is is on a journey. Jesus has just actually been in a group where he um, had some children with him, and he had blessed those children, uh, which was pretty rare for a a spiritual figure, particularly a man, uh, to bless children like this. But Jesus blesses these children. And then this man, this the Bible is going to call him a rich young ruler, runs up to him, runs after him. And he says this, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Do, uh, no one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You know what I love about this text? That it says Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. I mean, and here we are. It's Valentine's weekend, yes. Uh, we're, on, we're talking about love this weekend. In fact, I, hopefully, uh, who, I hope that you have got that special something. I'm glad my, man, my friend Lloyd took care of some people tonight. Yes? Yes? Okay. Somebody got, got blessed by That's good. And uh, hopefully you've got everything that you've, you've, you've covered in that area. But, but Jesus looks at this young man, and he loves him. And I want you to know something tonight. Jesus looks across the crowd that we have here this weekend. God, he looks across you and your living rooms, wherever you are on this uh, snowmageddon weekend. And I want you to know he loves you. But then he says to him, he says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, there's one thing you like. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around him and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, with God... All things are possible. And, G and Peter began to say to him, uh, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, and who will not receive a hundredfold now and this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You see, I got one point I want to drive home to you today because see, th sometimes things aren't as they seem. You know, I, I've got people who are tuning in uh, online and uh, I don't know what motivates that for you. I'm, I'm grateful that you are. Maybe you're, you tune in all the time because maybe you've yet to make it back to one of our on-campus experiences. That's okay. Um, maybe you are like some others from across the country. Man, you're just checking us out wherever you are. We literally have people from coast to coast that check us out every single week, and we're honored and delighted by that as well. Maybe you sort of happened onto this. Maybe you, you were just kind of on Facebook or some other media, uh, social media platform, and you sort of found us. Or maybe you're here all the time, like this is your church. And as we've been in this series entitled Hope Starts Here, you may recall that we have a purpose statement. We love to say it much and often. In fact, if you know it, and you know it online, you can say it with us. It's this. We're spreading God's fame by making disciples of all people. And over these weeks, we've talked about various things about what it means to be the church. We talked about there are some growth indicators. So one of the things that we do to show that uh, we uh, know Christ is that we gather for worship. And so we do that. We do that sometimes online. Some, uh, hopefully, we're going to start seeing folks come back after Snowmageddon and after uh, this pandemic uh, kind of winds down. It'd be great to have everybody back. Um, so we gather for worship. We grow in a group. Uh, we go into missions. Um, we give. We give of our time, our talents, and treasures. But there's this other G that all of those others come out of. 
Like if you don't get this one right, none of the others even really matter. Because the one thing that we say here that this whole thing, it revolves around this one thing, and it's called the gospel. The gospel. You see, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ that you and I uh, don't have to um, die for our own sins. Somebody has died for us, the person of Jesus, and he was buried, and he was resurrected, and he came back to life. And why did he do that? To prove that he was God. And if you put your faith and trust in him, then listen, you can have eternal life with him. And the question I have for you tonight, if that's you, if that's you online, we just give the Lord a hand. Can we do that? Like if that's happened for you. But I got to say, when I read this story, it's really scary. In fact, I would submit to you that this story that we just read, just like that toxic lagoon, is one of the scariest stories I find in the Bible. Because this was a guy who looked one way, but who was obviously a different way. He was a guy who, I mean, I, I'm just telling you, this, this guy was, was sharp. And I think the bottom line is this, though. If you don't know Jesus, and you just know about Jesus, you're going to have real problems one of these days. And understand something. This was directed to a religious person. This was directed to a spiritual person. This was directed to a person that was in gatherings like these, and, 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 and they didn't have the internet, obviously, but they were a part of spiritual things. And the point this weekend, I just want to drive home to you, is that there's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. Will you say that with me? There is an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. Say it with me one more time. There is an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. There's an eternal difference. There is an eternal difference between knowing Jesus, the person of Jesus, the personal Christ of Jesus, and knowing about him. And my concern would be across this weekend that some of us maybe have gotten those things confused. And so I'm not talking to people who are far away from God, that it's obvious by their lifestyles, by where they go, by what they do. I'm talking to people that are always here. I'm talking about people that are kind of tuned in because Jesus is talking about this. You see, there's eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. So I, want to, I got two points tonight, but I got one point that's really long, and I got one that's really short. And if you're ready, say ready. Ready? So here's the first one is this. There's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. Say it with me online or at home. You ready? There's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. So look at this. So know the barriers to knowing Jesus. Know the barriers. You'll notice what it says in verse 17. It says, and he was saying on a journey, and this man ran to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's what's fascinating. I mean, this man is going to the right, this rich young ruler is going to the right person. He's asking the right question. He's trying to do the right thing, and it's all going wrong. Because he walks up to, he goes up to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If there is such a place called heaven, I believe there is, I just wonder, by a round of applause, how many of you would want to go there? Like, who would want to go to heaven? And you, you may be watching this across this weekend, and 
And you would say, yeah, if there's a place called heaven, I would really like to go there. I'm telling you, like nobody has ever, I've ever talked to when we get serious about eternal things has ever said, no, I want to go to hell. Like no rapper gets up at the uh, Grammy Awards, right? And says, I just want to thank the man downstairs. Like nobody does that, ever. I mean, if, if there is a God, like they, the people want this. And so this young man walk, goes up to Jesus, and he, and he says, what, what must I do? And Jesus says to him, um, why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God. You know, here, here's what's fascinating about this young man to me. Like, if this young man showed up in most churches today, let me tell you what happened. Within about three weeks of him being here, we would probably make him a growth group leader, Okay. We'd probably um, put him in, in charge of some things. I mean, this is a, he, we know from one of the gospel accounts that he's, that he's uh, this gospel account, he's young. We know from another that he's wealthy. We know from another that he's a ruler, that he, had, he actually had a position there in the local synagogue. He may have been a, a part of the, the local Sanhedrin. I mean, this was a young man who was very accomplished. I'm telling you right now, in the suburbs, we got lots of these. We got lots of these. I mean, they, they, they look good. Man, they got great jobs. They got lots of great money. They got a couple of they got a couple of kids that are all smocked up like little baby gap baby mobbles. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they look really good. And and they come in and and this is who Jesus is dealing with. And this guy, he very sincere says, "What do I have to do to have eternal life?" Can I just tell you this? Sincerity is not the same as salvation. Sincerity is not the same as salvation. Like, there are a lot of people who, who sincere, they're sincere about, about even some spiritual matters. They, 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 they will believe the right things. They can believe that Jesus is, is the Lord. That, that, that's great. They can believe that. They, they can believe in places like hell. Uh, they can believe in demons. I mean, I know this. Even the demons believe in Jesus, and they shudder. And so, so understand, the demons are sincere. And, and this young man comes and he's very sincere, and he asks that great question, what must I do to attain eternal life? Because this is a young man who's used to getting things done. Like, I would just ask this, this question, maybe online here in the room. How many of you would just say that you're a person of action? Like, when you, there's something you want to accomplish, like, you just go for it. Like, you do it. Like, there's very few things you can't achieve, and here's the problem with that. You can't do this on your own. And see, and this young man, this young man was religious. I'm just curious, uh, just by a round of applause, how many of you uh, have been in church over five years? Over five years. You've been in church over five years? How many over 10 years? How about, how about 20 years? You've been in church over 20 years? How about 30 years? Um, online, you can play along. Here, here's, here's the, it's great. This guy probably grew up in the synagogue. This guy probably came from a really good family. Um, he knew a lot of things, but he didn't know Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says to him, he says, why do you call me good? Is no one's good except God alone, which is interesting because, I mean, he didn't even know who, I mean, he is, this man is standing in the very presence of God, and he doesn't even recognize it. That's how dangerous religion is. Religion can put you in proximity of spiritual things. It can put you in, pro- in the proximity of God. Like you, God can be doing great things, and you're totally missing it. Why? Because you don't recognize who he is. And this, this young man misses it. And he says to Jesus, he says, what must I do? 
And, and Jesus says to him, and this is so great, Jesus, he's so smart. He says, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, defraud, honor your father and mother. And the young guy, he says, he says, teacher, I've done all these since I was young. He said, I've done every single one of them. Now, what's interesting about that is, is this, is that in the, in the book of Exodus, you'll find the Ten Commandments about Exodus chapter 20. And you're going to notice that the first of the, there's, there's two tablets that Moses got the, the Ten Commandments on. And on the first of the Ten Commandments are, are going to be the, the ones like, you shall not have the gods before me, right? You shall not make any graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But Jesus, in this particular case, here's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't ask this man about those. He says, well, um, have you kept the command? And he mentions all the ones that are, you can see outwardly. He, he mentions all the things because, I mean, you can check the box. I mean, if you murder anybody, would you honor your parents? Just you steal? Did you do that? And the inmate's like, no, 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 no. And this young guy's like, I, I've done but, but Jesus is smart. Jesus doesn't bring up the first four. Why? Because that's really the heart. And the question I have for you is this. Whenever somebody asks you uh, about Jesus, how do you respond? Because if you, when people say, well, how, how's it going between you and Jesus? which is a very invasive question, by the way. Uh, there, there, there's be some people say, well, you know, I go to church. Well, I, I, I teach a Sunday school class. Well, I give some money. That's great. That's not what I ask. What I ask is, how are you and Jesus? You know, men, let me ask you this question. If somebody were to ask you, well, how are you and your wife doing? Like you wouldn't go, well, you know, I keep a roof over her head, and I kept her fed, and I got her. I mean, that would not go over well, would it, ladies? No? Like, if, if they ask, how are you, like, you would want them to say things like, well, you know, she's involved in this, and she's involved in that, and, you know, and I, I feel like we're working on our communication. Like, you would want there to be descriptors about that relationship. And yet, here's the thing about it. When, this young man, this young man, if he'd been asked that question, how are you and God, he'd have said, oh, well, you know, I go to the, ta- I go to the temple, the temple uh, uh, for the festivals, and I go to the synagogue, and I do all these things. And he missed the point. You see, here's the thing about it. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to work. Do you realize that? You are not saved by works. Uh, in fact, John 6, 29 says it like this. Says, this is the work of God that you may believe in him uh, and him and who he sent. I mean, in, in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Amen. Isn't that good tonight? That's a good thing. Yes. But then James 2.17 says this, and so also by faith itself, it by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so there's this balance. You see, we aren't saved by works. Say that with me. We're not saved by works. You cannot earn your way to heaven. But you are saved to work. Like God saved you so that you could do somewhere. He, he didn't, you, you aren't saved so that you can go to heaven. You are saved, you, but, but you do good work. So because you're going to heaven. And here's the thing about it. Sometimes there are people who are so full of grace. Like they're the people who say, well, you know, it's just by grace. I'm just saved by the, just by the grace of God. And then they don't do anything. They just feel like, well, I was saved by grace back when I was eight years old at some, you know, VBS or something, which nothing wrong with that. But then they just went out in the world, lived like the devil, didn't do anything, didn't, didn't show any demonstration of that. Can I just say this? Like, I don't want to be morbid for anything. Some of you people online, some of you people here in this room, but 
I do some funerals, okay? And I, I, I may do some of yours, okay? Let me just ask this question. Is it a fair assumption that if we keep doing this, like I may get to do your funeral one day? Anybody going to go there with you? want to volunteer for that? Thank you, Rick. I appreciate that. Anybody else? All right. I have decided, I have added one other thing to my funeral, just so you'll know. I want to, uh, I want my, I want to be, first off, I want to be in a casket with a bowl of candy on my chest, right? You know, because I want people to be like, oh, it's sad, but oh, look, little Milky Ways. You know what I'm saying? I want my hand embalmed outside the casket, yes, with a fist bump. Because if you're nice enough to come, right, I want to give you a fist bump, right? That's what I want to do for you. And I also want to make you touch a dead body. But this is the new twist. This is the new twist. This is what I want to do for us. This is my new twist. I want to be cremated, and I want my, dona- my, my ashes to be donated to a gender reveal party for a baby. All right? That's what I want to do. When they're blowing those things off, I just, I just feel like it's a circle of life. I really do. Anyway, it has nothing to do with this sermon. Here's what it does have to do with. Here's what it does have to do with. I've had to do some funerals where because these people were so full of quote on grace and they didn't demonstrate it with their life that I honestly don't know if they really made heaven. Like it's a really bad place to be as a as a pastor. Cuz it's not my job to ever assign people eternal destinies, you know that, right? But when we're having to talk our way up to try to convince people that this somebody was saved. And I just want to just say this to you. Don't make it close. Amen? Like, don't make it close. Because there's some that they're so full of grace, and and then there's others uh, that um, they're so empty of grace, they do everything. Like, they think it's all on them. And if you think, and I'm talking, Jesus was talking to a religious guy. I'm talking to religious people tonight. If you think any of this depends on you, you're crazy. You, you, on your best day, on your best day, you deserve hell. I mean, we should all be burning in hell right now, yes? It is the grace of God. But yet, if I am saved, it's going to cause me to work. You see, I think one of the barriers that we see right here with this young man is this thing called religion. Religion is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. What, we, what people who, who are about religion do is here's what they do. They intentionally try to do things to put God in their debt so that God, if I live this way, then God has to do this for me. That never works out well. And see, this young man... He had a religion problem. You see, um, there's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. We say that with me. There's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. And notice the second barrier, and it's this, it's wealth. It's wealth. And Jesus looking at him loved him. It's so great. He says he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I think one of the first things, if you're not careful, is this. You'll, you'll, make a, a false, you'll get a false understanding that money is evil. You know? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money in and of itself is neutral. Money's like... Uh, it's, it's, it's a tool. It's like a hammer. 
right? It's like a saw. You, you, money allows you to do some things. I can promise you, if you have to choose between having money and not having money, you should probably choose to have some money. Yes, amen? Okay. But this guy had, had, a, had, 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 a, had an issue with money, and I wonder if maybe we do. Because you realize that we live in Collin County, Texas, which is one of the most affluent places to live in all the world. You realize that in, in, in just our area here in Wiley, in my time here, the average home price um, for, for new constructions back 16 years ago was about $175,000. Now it's hard to find new construction in Wiley, Texas proper, that is less than four, nearly $400,000. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And that doesn't even count when you look at Rockwall County, that's just right over here. If you go over here to Lovejoy and some of these places, in Lovejoy, the average home price is $650,000. Collin County, Texas, has a lot of rich people. And if you're online, if you're, I, want you to, if you're here in the, I want you to understand, you're some of them. You may say, well, no, I'm not. I don't make that kind of money. No, 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 no. You've you, you got to think about this uh, from a global perspective. You understand, there, there's, this, this, there's this great website, and uh, it's called the Global Rich List. And according to the Global Rich List, um, if you make $30,000, we'll just put it in there. If you put $30,000, you're in the top 1.23% richest people in the world by income. Do you realize that? 30 grand. I'm not asking you what you make, but I bet you most of you in this room make over 30 grand. If you're a dual income earner, um, look at what $100,000 does because, you know, a couple, couple incomes, it can happen. You're in the top percent. Look at this 0.08% of the richest people in the world. I mean, you are loaded. Do you realize that? I mean, you are fat with cash is what you are. You're like, I didn't feel that way. Look at this. If you do make like $150,000, look at you. You're, now you're, you're, even, you're even higher in this. And you are, you can see there, you're like <laughs> the, the, the three millionth, almost, almost 3.5 million, richest person in the world in a world that has seven billion people. You're loaded. You say, well, why, why are you telling us that? You always tell us that. Why are you telling us that? Because don't you understand that, that riches do create problems? Like, the, there's some in this room that maybe you, you feel like you don't necessarily need a whole lot of Jesus because, I mean, you, you got security. Like, when there's enough in the bank... When, there, when there's enough in the 401k, when there's, a, when there's an, enough, you know, in the refrigerator and we got enough clothes in the closet, I mean, we don't really feel like we really need a whole lot of God. That's why riches is so dangerous. Because if you're not careful, you really will put your trust in that. And there's some of you in this room right now, there's some of you watching that you're actually thinking, if I just had a little more stuff, I'd just be better. And the truth of the matter is, is maybe the reason God doesn't give you more material stuff, more money, whatever, is because he knows if he allowed that to happen, it would ruin you. Like you wouldn't be able to handle it. Because you would just be like, I'm good. 
You know, this, this young man, J- Jesus says to this young man, he says, go and give all this away. And it says that he couldn't do it. Why? Because he had all this stuff. See, the problem really wasn't money for this guy's life. The reason the guy had a trouble was because he had an idol in his life. And when you have an idol in your life, and, and, that, and the idol, and, and, it, and it blocks your relationship to God, it's a, it's a problem. You know, it's kind of like if you look back in the Old Testament, there was this man by the name of, of Abraham, and he had a son named Isaac, and he had been this promised son. He was an old man when he had this son, and God told him to do the unthinkable. He said, go and sacrifice your son. So you can imagine he takes this, te- this, this boy, probably just a, a young 12, 13 years old, and he takes him up to this, this mountain, and, 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 he's a, and, and Abraham is fully convinced God is going to have him sacrifice this child. Some of you are thinking, I've never thought about killing my kid, but every now and then I, I get it, you know, he's, especially if they're a teenager. And so the story goes that they get to the top of the mountain, and right as Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his son Isaac, God stops him. He says, don't do that. He provides a, a ram, the thicket. He uses the ram as a sacrifice. But you know why Abraham had to do that? Because he had to prove that his loyalty, that his allegiance, that his heart belonged more to God than it did the son because the son was great, but he became an idol. And, and, I, and I wondered tonight if, if this is true. Because, you see, it, it could be wealth, but it could be activities. It could be hobbies. It could be a person. Like, what is it that, that, that is that's hindered? Because this young man, he had this religious problem. But he also had this, this very pride. He had this, the pride of this, this idol. And for him, it was wealth. You see... Um, There's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. Can you say it with me? There's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. Here's this last barrier I would give to you, and it's this, this one called age. You know, what do you mean by that? It says in verse 23, and Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And, here, and here's, here's what gets me about this. Jesus watches this young man walk away. Can you imagine this? Here's this young, sharp, good-looking, affluent. I mean, God, I mean, I'm telling you, guys like this in the suburbs, there's so many of them. And they got their little families, and they come to churches like this, and sometimes they stay for a while. They kind of lose interest. And Jesus, when he finally asked this guy for what was really needed, he bolts. Can you imagine Jesus just standing there, he's just watching this? And you've got to understand that the people around Jesus, back in that day, they thought that wealth and affluence particularly meant the favor of God was on you. And so as they're watching this guy walk away, and Jesus, he says those words, he says, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth in the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed. And Jesus said to them, again, children, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? You see, these folks were convinced 
that, that material wealth meant the favor of God was upon you. And, and he says to them, children, and, and that word has kind of a double nuanced meaning because there had just been, in one of these other gospel accounts, there had just been a gathering of children that Jesus had blessed. And so there may have been some children that were like physical, like little kids running around. But then also children in the proverbial sense that God is Father. He's speaking children. But here's what I know. You say, why, why is age a barrier? Because as we get older, have you ever noticed how much cynical we get? Have you ever noticed that? Yes? How many of you would just admit that as you've gotten older, you may have gotten a little jaded? Anybody want to go there? It happens, doesn't it? In fact, I would submit this to you. You know why we in this church have things like Refuel Weekend or the reason that we um, really put emphasis and we've spent lots of money in trying to build attractive spaces for our children, our preschool, and our students? You know why that is? Because statistically, that if you don't trust Christ by the time you're about 13 years old, you're probably not going to. You know, when you look across the people that really make professions of faith in a given year, most of the time they're young. You know why? Because as we get older, and if you're listening to me online, I want you to hear me this. If you're sitting here about 45, about 50, however old you are, and the Spirit of God is starting to kind of deal with you because you start to realize you don't have a relation with Him, you better lean into that. You better lean into that. Because time is not on your side. Because Jesus ends that and He says this, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Aren't you glad that still today that the potentiality, whether you be 8 or 80, that Jesus Christ can become your Savior today? Amen? Isn't that a good thing to know tonight? Isn't that good to know tonight? But you need to understand something. I mean, age does some things to us. You know, like, uh, I, I love little kids. I'll just be honest with you. And, and I've got a real soft spot. I love little baby girls. Can I just say this? Love little baby girls. Uh, love little baby boys, too. Little baby girls, they dress them up so cute. We got the same hairstyle. I love it. It's the best, okay? And uh, one of my favorites here is Eden Wells. She's one of my, I mean, surely she's my favorite. I saw her to, uh, over this weekend, a part of Refuel, and I went over there and I saw her. And, and we kind of have a little thing, and when she sees me, she smiles. And she has this big old smile. She's got them big old fat cheeks. I just like to pinch those big old fat cheeks, you know? And you know what I love about little babies? Sometimes, if they really like you, and sometimes Eden will do this to me, they'll put their arms out, and they'll just be like, because they want to be held. Like little kids, here's what's great about little kids. If a little kid needs something, they just tell you, yes? Like, there's no shame in that game. Like, I need a drink. I'm hungry. You know, when a little kid's like, when they, finally, when they, when they can talk enough, but they kind of have their diapers, they're like, I'm stinky. You know what I'm saying? Like, they will just tell you what is up, right? But isn't it amazing? The older we get, the less we share our needs. I don't need anything. I'm good. And I say that to you because some of you in this audience, wherever that may have you, you desperately need a Savior. Because don't you understand? There is an eternal difference. Say it with me. There is an eternal difference from knowing Jesus and knowing about Him. 
Lots of people know about him. But only people that are Christians, only people that when they really take that last breath, and it seems like weekly with this whole COVID thing, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing stories all the time of whether it be older people or younger people, and they take that last breath, and most of them had no idea. They didn't think that was going to happen to them. And they took that last breath. And don't you understand, unless Jesus comes back, every one of you listening to this are going to take a last breath? And where are you going to take your next one? Because there's a real place called heaven, and there's a real place called hell. And Jesus is what makes the difference, because he goes on in this text. And I love how this, this ends. Peter says to him, he says, see, you have left, we've left everything to follow you. I mean, think about that. Some of these disciples, they gave away their jobs. They probably lost their families. In church, I really believe that in the days ahead, that for us to follow Jesus, it's going to cost us more. It just is. It's coming. You, you can just see the handwriting on the wall, what culture thinks about Christ, what culture thinks about you as Christians. But here's the way that you really know that you're the real deal. Because he says right here, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in his time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. He says you're going to be persecuted in the age to come eternal life. You know, one of the ways that you know that you really have a relationship with Jesus is that you're going to persevere to the end. Like, you're going to be there in the end. Like, when it gets hard, you're not going to quit. When you've had a setback, you're, you're, you're going to just look at it as a setup to the next thing. Like, that is like that. that when you persevere to the end, that is what distinguishes the authentic, for the inauthentic, because he says this, and I love that last verse there, that last, last little thing, uh, that he tags it with. He says, but many who are first will be last in the last verse. There are going to be some people who look like they have it all together. And there's this old song that we used to sing. I, I went to the First Baptist Church in Sherman, as many of you know, with this big organ. And they would start belting on the big organ, and we would sing this one song. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll. Anybody ever hear this song? Called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Our guy would always mess it up, right? But I have this feeling. I really have this feeling based on this story. I think this is the scariest story in the Bible. It's scarier than going to Walmart tonight. It's bad. Stay away. Just stay away. You don't need it that bad. Make it. Make it work. They don't have anything anyway. It's all gone. It's Snowmageddon. The scariest part about this story is that this young man he didn't go to heaven. He didn't go. 
Let something happen later on. We don't see it. But based off just what this story says, this young man, he, when he died, and he was still a big deal at the synagogue, and he still looked real religious, and he still kept all those commands, and everybody looked at him, and, and they esteemed him, and they thought he was great. But when the rolls call up yonder, that brother's not going to be there. Because you have to know Jesus, not just about Jesus. And you realize that one of these days, they're probably going to have, you're going to die unless Jesus comes back. And it's true. They're going to, they're, you know, I don't know, maybe you'll get cremated, but, you know, historically people, they're going to have a funeral for you. Somebody like me will get up and say some stuff about you. We're going to take you out to some little place where there's a bunch of other dead bodies. We're going to drop you on the ground, put some dirt over your lid. We're probably going to go back to the church and eat ham and dead man potatoes that my mom used to always make. You know the ones I'm talking about, too. They got, like the, they got, they got the cornflakes on them. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, you know better dead man potatoes. And then here's a question. We're going to sit around some tables and tell stories about you, but where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're on, you're tuning in. Wherever you are, the question I would have for you tonight is so simple because it all starts this thing called the gospel. It starts in the heart, and the question is this, is the gospel in your heart? Because don't you understand, you can know a lot about Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. You're not going to die and like go to the ultimate trivial pursuit contest. It's not going to be like, how many, Bible, how many Bible trivia questions do you get to get into heaven? No, 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 no. Do you know him? And I'm talking to people that are religious. And I'm talking to people that have affluence. And I'm talking to people that maybe... I don't know where you are on that age continuum. Younger people always think they have more time. And older people know the truth. You don't. And the question I have for you tonight is, do you know him? And it might be that somebody is listening online here and physically, and, and you, you realize something that you don't. And here's the tough part. If you don't own that, you're going to be the only one that doesn't, that, that, like, you'll fake all of us out. <laughs> Good job. But like this rich young ruler, what's it going to really matter in the end? What's it going to matter in the end? Because all that's going to matter about 30 seconds after your heart starts beating is if you knew Jesus. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. So no man would boast. It's a gift of God. I wonder tonight if there be anybody here tonight and say, I just need to receive that gift. Because, Pastor, I, I wonder if there's somebody listening across this weekend. I wonder if there's somebody that you're, 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 you're online and you go, I, I, I need that. I would ask you to do this. You could pray a prayer with me. There's nothing magical or mystical about a prayer. But you could pray this prayer with me. 
And if you mean business with Jesus tonight, you say, man, I'm not, it's not about my church attendance. It's not about what people think about me. It's about me and you, Jesus. I, I want to begin this. You, you came to earth so that you could, you could know me, and I want to know you, and I want to begin. I, just, I want that to start tonight. I want that to start tomorrow, in the, in the, this morning. I want that to start this afternoon. Whatever that is that you're hearing this. And you could just simply say this, dear Jesus, I ask that you'll forgive me of my sins. And in the best way I know how, I want to invite you to come into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that with me, what I want you to do is this. I want you to acknowledge it online. We have folks that would love to. We have, we have chat hosts. You could say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Someone there would reach out to you. There'll be a number that will come up on our screen, and you can utilize that number. There'll be somebody that will do that. But maybe you're, you're more localized with us. We have a place on our campus called the Connection Center. I would invite you to meet me there here in just a moment. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is it's having this relationship with Jesus. Outside of that, nothing else truly matters. This is a scary story in the Bible. Don't let it be yours. doesn't have to be. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you that you came to the earth and that you lived and that you died, and that you were raised so that we could know you. And I pray on a weekend like this weekend where many of our plans have been interrupted, the Father, you would interrupt our plans one more time to do the deeper work in us. We thank you, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.